Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. This episode of Slam the Gavel is sponsored by CPS Protect Consulting Services. Child protective services cases are among the most frightening experiences any parent can endure. Don't face them alone. With urgent assist by CPS Protect, you get the peace of mind to raise your children as you see fit. And the personalized assistance of their team of expert child welfare consultants former CPS investigators themselves, right when you need it. Get started absolutely free at cpsprotect.com forward slash register. This is available in all 50 states. And go to the site, pleasedoyourjob.com and sign the petition. We need 2,000 more signatures to get a case reopened. And this case is in Maryland. Go to the site, pleasedoyourjob.com and sign a petition. I've got two brand new people on my podcast. I have attorney David Shapiro and Peter Kakuba on. Uh, the law offices of David B. Shapiro has been defending the citizens of Baltimore area for over three decades. Their legal team features seasoned attorneys with diverse backgrounds spanning the realms of personal injuries, malpractice, and criminal law. With deep roots and a long history in Baltimore, Mr. Shapiro has represented the city's people with professional and compassionate services for over 30 years. His sense of civic duty has driven him to help others in thousands of cases throughout his career. In the prestigious legal courts of Maryland and D.C. Bar, U.S. District Court, Fourth Circuit, U.S. Court of Appeals, and the U.S. Department Court, he remains committed to providing affordable service to his local clients while ensuring the best possible outcome, whatever the situation may be. And I totally welcome you both, Attorney David Shapiro and Peter Gakuva, to my podcast. I, we're going to talk about the criminal justice system and where is justice? And uh, good morning, Mary Ann. Thank you so much for having us on. Uh, as you indicated, uh, I am David Shapiro. I'm a sole practitioner uh, in the city of Baltimore, and I've been representing clients in Maryland and the District of Columbia for almost 35 years. Mm -hmm. uh, my background has been started in politics. I was a member of the Maryland State Legislature for about 10 years uh, representing Northwest Baltimore City. Uh, after making the laws, I decided I'd like to actually work with the laws, and that's what took me to law school and to open my own practice. Mm -hmm. um, I've done primarily half of my practice is criminal defense work. Mm -hmm. uh, another 40% is personal injury. Um, those cases have taken me from the local courts all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, where I represented uh, an individual who was not happy with his medical device that he received. And we ended up going to battle with a, a small pharmaceutical company known as Squibb Bristol Myers. And uh, we were successful in the Supreme Court and we got justice for my client. Um, I do also some domestic work and some of it does deal with uh, juvenile justice issues, uh, certainly issues dealing with child protective services mm -hmm. as well. So I've really uh, run the course. I'm really a general practitioner, whereas these days it's very hard to find a general practitioner. Most people have specialized, but for me to specialize just in one area of the law, I tell people often it's like watching paint dry. Mm -hmm. It's not very interesting for me. So I've enjoyed this multiple types of cases that have come into my door for me to help people. Um, I would like to talk a little bit uh, about the intersection of criminal law and mental health issues. I think this is an area that is often uh, underserved and in many cases overlooked by the judicial system, as well as the state's attorneys in various jurisdictions. Unfortunately, when people go into the city of Baltimore and they go down the streets, they will often see homeless people who are either begging at the street corners for some pocket change, or they'll see them getting some warmth at the uh, grate where the steam is coming out of. And they mm. wonder to themselves, why is it that that person is there? We have services where they can be put into housing, into shelter. And often people don't recognize people are there because they don't want to be in shelter. And perhaps they don't want or they don't or aren't able to really... Uh, appreciate the care that's being serviced. And, and the reason for that is they've got a mental health 
problem, some sort of illness, some sort of challenge that has not been appropriately uh, attended to. Uh, too often, uh, what happens, I take a, a gentleman or a lady into court uh, over some rather minor or criminal charge. Um, I get them a suspended sentence. They're put on probation for a period of 18 months or maybe two years. And then for many reasons, they're not able to uh, adhere to the conditions, the general and special conditions that are, are given by the judge. And they end up going back into the system again for violation of probation. Mm -hmm. Many times people who are charged and they're told, well, you need to get uh, your program, you need to get your medication, you need to go to your therapy. Well, they go and they get their therapy and they take their medication and then they are feeling much better, which is the intention. And when they're feeling much better, they say to themselves, I don't need the therapy anymore. I don't need the medication anymore. And this cycle goes over and over and over. I think I'm happy to see that some jurisdictions have created mental health courts, just mm -hmm. like they've had drug courts for many years. And I'm hopeful that we'll be able to see much more progress being made in that area. Uh, I, I sort of give an analogy to 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when a woman would be at a sleazy motel, she's probably drug addicted, and she's turning tricks for local people because she's trying to either feed a, a habit that she has, or maybe she has uh, somebody who's guiding her into this kind of business. But she was taken to court she was charged with prostitution. She was convicted. She often went to jail. We've moved away from that now. These young ladies often, and men at times, are now considered being people who are being trafficked by the by other people. And we've changed it. So these, yeah, these people are now considered to be victims as opposed to being criminals. Mm -hmm. I don't see the same movement when it comes to individuals who are suffering with mental health uh, issues. So that's just one area of the law that I find interesting, that I think we need to do much more work with their policymakers, with state legislatures across the country. I think it's an area that needs a, a lot of attention. The other area that is probably a little bit more, con uh, I, I would say certainly much more uh, of an issue in terms of where people will, will find their, their beliefs and much more controversial, deals with sex offenders. Mm -hmm. Now, a sex offender can range from a multiplicity of individuals in various situations. Uh, maybe the most egregious is one of the first cases that I had in my practice where there was a grandfather that was charged with having his four or five-year-old grandson perform fellatio on him. To me, that was quite outrageous. Uh, after I met him at the detention center, I came outside and I threw up. Mm -hmm. I was I was I was upset about it. It was something that I wasn't familiar with. Uh, whether he had a mental health problem, whatever his problem was, that was a very serious charge, and it needed to be handled in a very serious fashion. Mm -hmm. Contrast that with cases, many cases that I have particularly in Baltimore City, maybe Baltimore County, when there's a young man who's maybe 16 or 17 and he meets a girl at a convenience store or at a bodega or at some area in the community and they hook up. <laughs> he wants sex. He's young. He, uh, he, he's very active in that department. He meets a young lady who appears to be 17 or 18. She's tall. She's thick. She's buxom, she's attractive. They get together, they have sex one time and it's consensual on, on all parties. Um, but then she comes home, talks to her folks, somehow the authorities get involved. Mm -hmm. And as you know, she, at 13 or 14, she cannot give consent to have sex. So the young man is then charged with rape or some other sex offense. And he's probably going to be, take a plea or be found guilty. And for the rest of his life, he has this scarlet letter that's been impressed upon his forehead. He will not be able to get a proper job. He cannot live where he wants to live. He will need to report 
on a regular basis, Ugh. his life is ruined for the rest of his life. Now, why in the world can't we differentiate between those two cases? And as it turns out, many of my clients who were in that situation at 16 or at 17, they're now 25, they're now 30. They've never committed any other offense, certainly no, none other, no other sex offense. They learned that it was inappropriate, but that's what happened. Yet they are living with this baggage for the rest of their life. We need to make a change in that area. But obviously, it's very difficult for a person to go down to the legislature and say, we need to modify the sex offense. We have to make them a little less stringent. But these are the issues that confront us that I am most interested in and I'd like to get involved with to hopefully see some sort of change. Now, there are many, many other issues that I could go on, on and on and on. But as an attorney who has jury trials on a regular basis, who loves to talk to a jury, I don't want to bore your listenership to tears. So if there's any questions, Marianne, that you have, I'd be happy to entertain them at this point. Well, when you were talking about the mental health at area where these um, people are on medications. I used to be a psychiatric nurse. Uh -huh. So we would see the frequent flyers. And like you said, they feel great on their medication. So then, you know, a couple weeks go by and they just stop taking the meds and they're back on our unit within two months to three months. So we would see these frequent flyers. And yes, you know, they, they are homeless. They don't want to be in a shelter. I don't, I don't know, maybe they don't want to follow the rules of the shelter, or maybe the shelter, shelters are full. Um, I don't know what to do with, you know, these people, because they just keep coming back. In fact, the hospital that I had worked at actually closed the mental health unit because it was losing money. Mm -hmm. um, and this is bad. And then um, with these mental health courts, are those already in motion? Well, that's a good question. Some are much more involved, much more organized than others. Um, I know in Baltimore City, they have a mental health court, both in district court, which is their lowest court, mm -hmm. as well as on the circuit court level, which is the highest higher court. Uh, these judges are trained in that area. Mm -hmm. They only are in this department for a good period of time so that you don't have to keep shifting judges around who may not be that familiar with repeat offenders or with, you mentioned, frequent flyers. In Baltimore County, it's beginning to evolve, but they have so much further to go. So it's really a challenge as we go to different jurisdictions. There's no one schematic that covers an approach. And I think that's really what this should be done. On the state level, they should put together a, a task force, uh, having lawyers, having judges, having mental health professionals, all together to map out, which would be a template that every court should be able to employ in, do in order to provide proper services. Now, in terms of your example of the, of the frequent flyers, um, when somebody is getting treatment, it shouldn't just be that a psychiatrist is writing them a new prescription or that they're in group therapy. It needs to be a complete, holistic approach mm -hmm. that provides continuity of not only their treatment, but allowing them to get some sort of job opportunity to have them work with agencies that have other groups getting together. It needs to be a whole plan. It can't be piecemeal because that is setting up people for failure. Now, mm -hmm. I remember, uh, you know, I'm a, uh, a person who has lots of varied interests, not just practicing law. I've got two small hotels in Baltimore. And in one of the hotel locations, I've always wanted to open up a restaurant, which I did. Now, my wife says to me, I really should have bought the red sports car, but that's another story. So I opened up this cafe, and there's a group in Baltimore known as Be More Clubhouse. And this is an international group, and they have these clubhouses throughout the United States, as well as in Europe and other jurisdictions. Um, I was the first employer to hire some of their members. Now, Be More Clubhouse membership comes from people who've had significant mental health um, breakdowns. Uh, some of them are, were very high functioning, doctors, mm -hmm. lawyers, business people, uh, working in government, 
And they then, when they're on the repair, when they're working for their recovery, they all get together at this clubhouse and they do lots of activities together. It helps them with finding other jobs that may be less stressful. Mm-hmm. So as part of this job preparation, I was the first employer here in Baltimore that opened my doors at the cafe to hire them. Mm. Very high functioning people. They came in to my uh, restaurant and they would wash dishes. They would do menial tasks. And for days that maybe they weren't up for it, be more clubhouse staff members would come in and substitute them for them so that it was a win-win for everyone. I mm-hmm. never had a break in terms of people showing up to work. Uh, these individuals had a functional opportunity to get back into society while they were still getting support from their therapy as well as from the clubhouse. I think that's what we need to see more of. We need mm-hmm. to see more creative programs that will provide opportunity for those people suffering with mental health issues. Oh, I agree because that also builds self-esteem after they've had some horrible tragic event and they have a breakdown. You know, a lot of people don't understand that that you know horrible events happen to people. So true. So true. So um, you know, I enjoy my work. Um, I'm not gonna work forever. But if anyone has any questions about any legal matter, uh, I probably am one of the few, if not the only attorney in Baltimore that represents in landlord tenant actions. I represent tenants in residential matters because no other attorneys will do it because a tenant can't really afford those kind of services. But I'm always happy for people to call my office, whether it's landlord tenant, a criminal matter, a personal injury issue. My phone is always open. I'm going to give you my my office number, which is 410-576-9100. And my cell number is 410-340-8911. If I don't answer, people can send me a text. There's no charge for me to have a five, 10-minute conversation with anybody about any question. I'm happy to help. That's excellent. I, I appreciate your time because I know you're super busy. And- well, well, I do. I've got clients here in the office today, Saturday morning. I'm going to turn the microphone over um, to someone who works in my office, who has his own perspective on the system. And that's uh, Peter Gakuba. Well, thank you so much, Attorney Shapiro. I uh, hope we can talk again. I look forward to it, Marianne. Take thank care. you so much. You too. Hello, Peter. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you doing? So far, so good. So you you have uh, you've been doing a lot of work yourself. I have, as I discussed with you prior to coming on your podcast. Uh, I the uh, go between was a gentleman who worked with a retired federal judge to help people who. Uh, were taking on the justice system on their own without use of a lawyer. Uh, it's called being pro se, California, mm-hmm. called being pro per. And uh, I uh, was wrongly convicted in Illinois. I have been fighting my case now for 17 years. I went through two very well-respected lawyers who threw me under the bus. Oh. find that uh, as... Um, uh, our go-between have pointed out with the judge named Richard Posner, a retired federal judge on the appellate level, Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, mm-hmm. Harvard graduate, that the more you fight the system, the more the system is intransigent and not wanting to deliver justice. And I told Brian that the solutions would uh, effectively upset the apple cart, meaning that just like uh, there used to be travel agents or stockbrokers who you would call to book an airline ticket or purchase stock. Now you do it yourself on the website. Mm-hmm. There's something called Westlaw and LexisNexis. These are databases like a Google search, but they're restricted to just looking at court rulings and decisions. And they cost anywhere from $1,000 to $10,000 a month. Nobody can afford that. No. The casual user. Uh, there is a, a site called casetext.com, which is former lawyers who decide they'll provide an alternate, but it's not as uh, uh, sophisticated in its search returns. 
if you empower people to allow them access to that service, and I got on a service through a librarian at a law school who shared with me his passcode, then people can be their own lawyer. But then here's the other problem. If people were successful being their own lawyer, then you won't need lawyers and judges are lawyers. So they don't want to slit their own throat. And as a consequence, that's why they give pro se litigants such a hard time. Because mm -hmm. of the fact that they do not want to jeopardize their own career and future. And that to me is outrageous. Remember, they drag people in off the street to serve as juries. The law is not complex or difficult. It isn't. That's why you have jury uh, uh, cases. But the problem is, is they talk in language and use words that the average person can't understand because it's uh, done so on purpose. Mm -hmm. It's like a boot camp to get into the military. You have to jump through certain hoops. You have to comply with certain court rules, et cetera, et cetera. That is daunting to most people. And to be candid with you, uh, having gone to Johns Hopkins and Stanford and having two retired Hopkins doctors in my family, I came to the conclusion that people don't like to read. <laughs> if you gave a person an option to see the movie or read the book, they'd rather see the movie. Mm -hmm. So the law does require people to read all the time. And unfortunately, the average person doesn't want to do it unless it's in sound bites or like we talked about TikTok or Twitter <laughs> uh, in easily digestible sentence fragments. And also people don't like to think because right. the, your mind is a muscle and you have to exercise it. So that's why you have this um, uh, culture here in the West where people look for uh, heroes to worship. That's why America has this cops and robbers culture where there's a good guy and a bad guy, a cowboy and an Indian, right? That's mm -hmm. where Marvel Entertainment has blockbuster movies because people want to live in the fantasy world that there's a Superman or a Spider-Man and there are these bad guys. So Shapiro was correct. Every decade of my life, I'm 54, there's always been a boogeyman. Whether mm -hmm. it's a war on drugs, whether it's in my, when I was a child, my mother's from Ukraine, it's red communists, Remember the James Bond movies, the spies and so forth. Mm -hmm. So there's always someone you have to pillory. You had witch hunts back in the day, women who weren't married, didn't follow the social norms. They were considered to be uh, evil and uh, um, abnormal. So I found that for myself, I was wrongly convicted of a case involving a gay teenager who was running away from his devout Catholic parents, unbeknownst to me. And when I got a call from the police that he was a runaway, I promptly returned him home. Of mm -hmm. course, deflected from the fact that he was running away. And also, it didn't help matters that he was sexting. He was taking nude pictures of himself and trafficking them for the nude pictures of other presumed teens. So I became the whipping boy or scapegoat. And despite the fact they had no evidence of any kind, in fact, they found that the evidence that he claimed would exist of a alleged sex offense in a hotel room, that there was nothing there. And when I went on appeal and said, look, the 14 year old claimed that there was sex in a hotel room and there's no DNA, negative DNA test results, nothing. And the appellate court affirmed on the basis that it just takes one credible witness to convict. Yeah. So in other words, it's like what you see with Donald Trump. You have a woman who claims that uh, he sexually assaulted or harassed her in a dressing room. No other witnesses, no other uh, evidence to support her story. It's he said, she said. And because she's believed and he isn't, he's now having to write an $83 million check to her. I hope that doesn't happen. Well, the problem is, is uh, if you look at the National Exoneration Registry, they say almost 30 to 40, I think it's close to 40% of the cases involved sex offenses, uh, and of those, about half involve children. Mm -hmm. Because people want to make stories up to deflect or distract from something else. Mm -hmm. I talked to a fellow in Wisconsin who was at a college party. A girl claimed he raped her. So he went to prison, and then he fought his case himself. He got the Wisconsin Innocence Project to back him. He got exonerated. In fact, he's now a lawyer. 
And to my shock and horror, he and another lawyer who also was a former wrongly convicted person who turned to become a lawyer, that these individuals, once they become lawyers, they become like Napoleon. They become the very despised lawyers who everyone uh, resents. Lawyers are sociopaths. And as a consequence, having worked myself in Wall Street, uh, if you ever saw the movie Wolves of Wall Street. Oh, yeah. That's what Wall Street was like in the 80s and 90s. Your job was to find victims to get their money and to put them into uh, uh, garbage investments to appease the companies who are paying you fees to go out and raise money. So we call it a dialing for dollars. Mm -hmm. And lawyers are the same way. Lawyers are lie, 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 lie because of the fact that they want your money. And they won't tell you the truth, which is in the criminal justice system, there's a 97% conviction rate. So who in their right mind is going to give a lawyer ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars knowing that they have a 3% chance of success? Nobody. But we brainwash the public into thinking that there's justice in America when there is none. It's just mm -hmm. all a facade and a canard. And the courts and the judges, they are the new dictators and the despots and the tyrants. We've outsourced democracy. We don't get a choice on who our candidates are any longer. And certainly the judges who get the run for office, they get their funding from lawyers, police unions, prosecutor associations. And then what's most telling is the fact that the judges are fearful for their lives. So who do they depend upon for personal security? The police. So that's why judges aren't keen to go against police officers because it's a police yeah. protected judges. So from my own experience, if you want to reform the criminal justice system, nationalize Westlaw and LexisNexis like we did with airport security 24 years ago after 9-11. Open it up to the public. We, we, there's so much waste, fraud, and abuse in the government system that the billions that possibly would go into the pockets of Westlaw, LexisNexis, would serve the purpose of the public. But the judges don't want that because the judges know that once you remove the lawyer from the equation, it's a matter of time before you remove the judge. And I would say, go for it. <laughs> Having a judge, what they should do is they should require everyone who has a license to practice law to be effectively a, uh, a jurist at the judge level. So rather than having a case assigned to a judge, randomly select three lawyers from the Bar Association of the State and say, as part of practicing law, your job is to do pro bono work, or we'll pay you, uh, like to pay juries, a nominal fee. And your job is to take care of these cases. My father is a heart surgeon, and he did a lot of pro uh, work for free. You yourself said you were a nurse. Mm -hmm. It comes as part of the trade. Not everyone can pay for your medical services. So you have to give them away for free to those who can. Mm -hmm. So if you were to eliminate the judges by saying we will have every case assigned to three lawyers, and it's not like there's a shortage of lawyers in America, and those three lawyers will decide a case as part of their civic duty, which is a speech they give to people who serve on juries, then we wouldn't have the degree of corruption that exists in the judicial system, where these judges effectively do whatever they want, and then they make up a, a, a story and a fairy tale as an opinion to back up whatever it is they want. Like you see with the recent decision overturning 50 years of abortion rights, the judges decided, the current judges in the Supreme Court, we don't want that. So they fabricated the story to match their opinion. It's called reverse engineering, and that's what they do. They come up with an opinion. Um, who do I thumb up or thumb down on a case? Because remember, all cases have either one side wins and another side loses. And then they make up a story to back up their conclusion. But it's a dictatorship. They don't really read the law. They don't have time to read the law. In fact, most judges don't do any of their own work. They hire these law school grads or interns to do all the work for them while they run around uh, trying to get donors for the next election or hobnobbing with uh, very well-paid lawyers who they could parachute out of their job as a judge into retirement as a partner where they do nothing at all except 
lend their name. You know, Joe Biden has a 29-year-old granddaughter at a big Washington, D.C. law firm, and no one knows what the hell she does there. <laughs> give her name, the Biden name, and the obvious fact that if they really pushed her, she could probably pick up the phone and say, uh, Grandpa Joe, uh, the law firm I work at really needs your attention on the map. It's called pay to play. Yeah, it's very sad. Um, I know that what I'm hearing from a lot of people I talk to is that these judges are disregarding and not even reading evidence or exhibits. They don't. Right. I mean, they don't. That I, as I said to you before, I was wrongly convicted. I thought I'd get relief before Democrat judges. They're the worst of the kind because Democrats are corrupt to the core. Here in Baltimore, we just had a state's attorney uh, convicted of perjury, falsifying bank records, applications, getting that uh, COVID uh, relief money illegally. We had two mayors back-to-back -back go to prison. We had a hit squad of Baltimore City detectives who were planning drugs and guns on people. So I find that Republicans, at least, you know, what they stand for, guns, God, and uh, pro-life. If you uh, stand with those core principles, they love you. Mm -hmm. Democrats, they talk to talk, but they rarely, if ever, walk the walk. All they're out for is just the Benjamins, as uh, one congresswoman said. They're, they're cynical people. I call them cynical sociopaths because mm -hmm. they will lie they never had a real job in their lives other than to be supplicants or grifters. And uh, Shapiro just mentioned about having some type of uh, system to help mentally ill people. Mm -hmm. My mother is a retired doctor in California, and she tells me they spend a god-awful amount of money to help the homeless out there. Mm -hmm. but like with prison, where the average prisoner, they say they spend twenty dollars or $30,000 on, where does that money go? Yeah. Into the pockets of the youth overhead and the administrators and the paper pushers and the bureaucrats. That's why people don't want to go to the shelters. It's because they want their personal privacy. Mm -hmm. When I was in prison myself, mm -hmm. that was the problem. People wanted to have personal space and privacy, not be like uh, a poultry farm or a hog farm, all uh, penned together with God knows who is next to you. You don't know the person. You don't care to know the person. You just want to be left alone. So... The point is, is that the government is, uh, the U.S. government and is no different than any other government in the world. It's corrupt to the core, and it's all about money. All about money. The justice system functions purely as, like they say about the uh, military-industrial complex, there's a criminal justice prison complex right. that needs to have uh, warm bodies to put into prisons to pay for the warden and the Guards in Illinois, I was shocked to find guards make seventy thousand in the door. Whoa! And I don't know what they do for that money other than take attendance uh, four times a day. Oh, I know what they do. They also keep the patient uh, patients, uh, the prisoners awake twenty four seven. At least when I was in there, these guards had the lights on, like a bright light through the whole pod mm -hmm. and then they would be talking really loud throughout the whole night. I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, you doze off and then you'd wake up like, <laughs> so if there's prison riots it's on them. Well, the easiest way to deal with prisoners, I think build new prisons, which are high tech, which minimize the interactions of prisoners they say solitary confinement is uh, mentally damaging. Well, it is if they have nothing to do except sit in a cell and stare at the wall all day. But prisons now offer uh, limited Wi-Fi access. Mm -hmm. Certainly federal prisons offer it. I'd say give these prisoners, which now is available, tablets, and they can do their uh, time uh, surfing the internet, reading, uh, watching movies and music, which is what they do now. Mm -hmm. not charge him a fortune for it right my mother used to call me in prison at the time illinois charged you one dollar a minute so 30 minute call was 30 dollars yep right uh, and that's still happening mm -hmm. when my father called me and we talked for only three minutes it was 40 dollars. yeah so it's a it's a racket the judges know it's a racket the prison knows it's a racket 
And the public, unfortunately, it's like the Roman Empire. If you ever heard of the term bread and circuses, mm. bread and circuses, as the Roman Empire was on a decline, it was a victim of its own success. It would uh, conquer the vast regions, enslave the people, bring them back to Rome to do all the work. And then the average Roman had no work to do. So they distracted their boredom with circus and sports, which is why the Colosseum is the only thing that stands in Rome today. And then they would feed them. So if you ever saw the movie Gladiator, yep. the thing, he hands out bread. So that was it. They fed the population while they could. And then they distracted them with sports and entertainment because oh. they had nothing to do. So when Shapiro talks about the hiring these people and so forth, understand that some people are just simply not employable. In the capitalist society, mm -hmm. companies will hire people who they can use and abuse. And then they throw them away. They discard them like the old Charles Dickinson novels. Have you ever seen the book, The Jungle by uh, Upton Sinclair? The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, he was an investigative reporter uh, at the turn of the last century. And he went to one of the Chicago meatpacking uh, plants. And he wrote about the grisly, horrible work conditions, how they would butcher these animals. There was no work safety rules. You'd slice off your finger in the course of butchering a cow and the boss will say, gee, I'm so sorry, Marianne, you cut your finger off or your hand off. See ya. Next. Mm. Shocking. And then the workers joked that they used every part of the pig except the oink. So it led to OSHA. It led to food safety inspections because they were passing off uh, the uh, animal uh, uh, organs and meat as if it was it was suitable for human consumption when it wasn't. But yes, the, the book shows that capitalism is, is just pure evil because of the fact that its whole purpose is profit mm -hmm. at all costs. And you'll see the arc of every company. You build out your company, you sacrifice profits in the beginning to get market share. Once you have market share, you become a monopolist. Once you become a monopolist, you can set the price anywhere you want. <laughs> so, and then damned lawyers, the hell with them. Mm -hmm. now, we're faced with the world today, unfortunately, and the criminal justice system is the like your like your backbone, uh, where it's all a scam. It's just a scam, and the public is afraid to say or do anything because the average person doesn't have individual willpower or motivation to do it. Unless their neck is in the news. Oh, yes. You know, my mother used to tell me that when uh, the Nazis were killing the Jews in the Holocaust, they'd ride into town in Russia or Ukraine, where she's from. They didn't know a Jew from a non-Jew. So they would ask around, mm. hey, everybody in Baltimore, tell us who's a Jew and who's a non-Jew. And the public would comply, or they'd be the ones who would be killed. So that's it. It's like I, I tell Shapiro, it's like a herd of zebra at the, at, the, at the edge of the Nile River with hungry crocodiles. No one wants to jump into the river first because they know that they'll be the first for the crocodiles to consume. <laughs> so they right. wait until someone jumps in or stumbles in, and then they all rush in together, hoping that uh, they're safety numbers. Mm -hmm. So that being said, I, I'm afraid that criminal justice reform will never appear unless you deal with the reality that the judges are the problems. That's why you don't want cameras in the courthouses. That would be my second wave of criminal justice reform. Make LexisNexis Westlaw open to the public, and then secondly, put court cameras into the courtrooms, and then have a site like a YouTube dedicated to this courtroom theater, where anybody can see any courtroom in business in the country. And then now they have technology where you can transcribe court proceedings. So we use software at this law office, so it's called Adobe, where rather than going through thousands of pages of a deposition or discovery, we can put in search terms or search words. And we have cases here in Maryland, like in Illinois, where people get exonerated because their case was picked up by someone like you in a podcast, Adnan Sayed, famous case here in Maryland. They said he raped and murdered his ex-girlfriend or murdered his ex-girlfriend. The intermediate appellate court said, you need a new trial. The Supreme Court of Maryland said, no, 
a podcast picked it up. The local prosecutor flipped from a prosecutor to a former public defender. She uh, dropped a case. And then the victim's family appealed. And then the appellate court that said that he needs a new trial, his uh, conviction bogus, they reversed. <laughs> they said his conviction stands. And now it's before the Supreme Court of Maryland. So wow. it's basically the flip-flop. Mm -hmm. Because they, they don't really apply the law like a scientist applies uh, physics or chemistry. They just do whatever they want. And right now, the judges on these courts are of different political persuasions. But get rid of them. Right, right. You should not have, your typical judge has several thousand cases a year. That's humanly impossible for one person to do. It is. Mm-hmm. So put cameras in the courtrooms, mm -hmm. have everything transcribed, and then you can watch the judge pick his nose. They had a case out in, I think, Oklahoma, where a judge in the course of a murder trial was texting her bailiff and making yes. comments about uh, the appearance of people in the courtroom. So clearly they're not doing a job. They're no. They're human like us. Well, free them. Even when I went to Superior Court to argue 50-50, because that is what my sons wanted, um, I noticed throughout all these little hearings, because even though you're number 28 and you have to wait, I was just watching and I noticed the judge on the right, my my right, he was, he was sleeping through a lot of these arguments that these lawyers were doing. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know. I mean, the they're keeping these judges on for too long of an age. I hate to do ageism, but at some point, they, these people have to retire as well. And you need to have fresh blood like a jury. That's why I keep telling judges and lawyers like Shapiro, if you can grab people from a bus stop and stick them in a jury box, and with a few instructions, let them decide a person's fate or the money-wise or if they go to prison or not, it's not a complex feel. Mm -hmm. It just requires reading and verbiage and thinking. When I was in prison, I remember every week the prisoners went to commissary, which is the prison store. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't do basic arithmetic and they'd asked me to do it. So mm -hmm. you know, I went to Johns Hopkins, Stanford. It's not a problem for me. I went all the way up through calculus too. And when I asked them, I said, why, why don't you do it like, here's a piece of paper, just add all the numbers up. It's basic arithmetics. He said, it gives me a headache. Oh, it gives me a headache to think. So people don't want to think for themselves. So that's why you have cults. That's why you have uh, hero worshiping. That's why everyone's fanatical about Taylor Swift these days, because she's the new um, goddess. Every, every society that I've seen has to have somebody to look up to. And American society, especially, it's a culture driven by heroism, right? Mm -hmm. Going all the way back to the Lone Ranger and the West and the uh, uh, people like, uh, what is it, Davy Crockett and so forth against those terrible Indians. Mm -hmm. So yes, put cameras in the courtrooms, have everything transcribed, low tech, low cost, low hanging fruit. Then you or I, if we hear that, hey, there's a case out in Indianapolis where some guy or girl or woman or man is getting a bad feel, we can log into our computer. We can see with our own eyes what's going on. But they don't allow that in the federal court system. Why? Oh, it influences the uh, attitude and behavior of witnesses. Nonsense, because they do it in all the state courts in California, mm. doing it in Illinois. There's no distinction between courtrooms with cameras or without cameras. But the federal judges, they're power mongers. Mm -hmm. And that means that they're going to have to actually pay attention in court because they know there's going to be cameras watching. Well, definitely. I also, you know, these parents, they want to take out their cell phones and record. Mm -hmm. They don't even let them do that because sometimes this transcript is altered. But of course, my mother has gone through a divorce and that's what she would complain about all the time. So yes, put cameras in the courtrooms mm -hmm. and then have uh, auto transcription. When I got transcriptions of my uh, hearings, the court reporter just fed the audio into a machine and then it uh, automatically typed it out and then they just did some editing and 
and and clarifications. Right. But I think. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, I think they should also have the the um, cameras be tamper proof because the judges, if they don't like what someone's saying, they can just hit the button and then they lose that recording. Absolutely. But remember, by posting it on a website like a YouTube for the public to see, there are enough brilliant people out there who want to be Sherlock Holmes or detectives who have software like people have those uh, police scanners, right, where they know what the police are up to that they can detect when there's tampering of the audio or the video. There's software that will show you that the video has been tampered with. So someone, if they want to be a super sleuth, they can figure out that. In fact, in Chicago, that's how they had a case come down against the police when the 17-year-old, they shot him like 16 times, claiming he was lunging at the police with a knife, but one of the cops forgot to turn off the dashboard camera and it showed the kid was walking away from the police. Mm -hmm. So the family got like $6 million as a settlement because mm -hmm. the kid was a career criminal as a juvenile to begin with. But that's the thing. Even if there's you know, tampering with the cameras, once you post on the website, someone can download that on a video feed and then run it through a software application that can determine if there's been interruptions or splicing or, mm. or like they're doing now with deep fakes, right? They have software that can determine if an image is a synthetic image made by a computer, like a computer-aided uh, design, CAD, that movies use, or if it's authentic. But put it out there. If democracy is about the freedom and the public having a say in government, that's what you need to do. Mm -hmm. The French were having a protest last year and they were interviewing some of these college or university students. Protests and revolution is always a province of young men. And one young guy said something that sticks in my crawl to this very day. He said, we in France believe that the government should be in fear of the people, not the people in fear of the government. And they took the guillotine to their governments in the past. <laughs> you know, Marie Antoinette, when she said the people are starving, they don't have bread. And mm -hmm. she said, me, Kate. well, her head was in a basket six months later. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth. If a judge fears for his life, then he knows he's got a guilty conscience because he screwed somebody. Mm -hmm. He shouldn't be a judge. Oh, a lot of them shouldn't be. And that's the problem. They know they know that they've screwed people over. So that's why they rely upon the police for their own personal security. I sued the Chicago Suburban Police Department once. It was going into my hotel room without a warrant. They brought in those dogs to sniff the doors, and then they just they, they had a master key, and they just go into your room. I said, you can't do that. And they said, who are you to tell us what to do? I said, you can't do that. There's something called the Constitution. That was mm -hmm. when I even felt that. We all had human rights. I called the police station and I spoke with a sergeant. I said, listen, your cops are going to the hotels without warrants. You can't do that. And, mm -hmm. he, and he said, who, who are you again? I told him. I, and he said, look, he said, we'll do whatever we want. If you have a problem with that, then sue us. I said, then I'll sue you. And he said, good luck next time you call 911 and hung up on me. So I sue them. And you know what they did? I moved to a different county on the other side of Chicago. On duty, at the taxpayer's expense, they attached illegally a GPS tracking device to my car and were following me around for a weekend. How do I know? Because they were in a black crown and I know cars and I saw this black crown following me. So I stopped in, police, uh, in the gas stations, pretending I had to fill my car and check my tire pressure and then went to the bank and drive-throughs and I got the security camera showing that they were following me around. And then when I went to court on the hotel in, in violation and showed the judge that they didn't just stop there, they retaliated, they settled for a five-figure sum now, which they don't pay for, they have insurance or the taxpayer pays for that. Is that, oh. So the point is, is just the system could be reformed in one in one year, all it requires is you nationalize these legal data research systems that charge thousands of dollars a month for the public to use or lawyers. In fact, they're just regurgitating court opinions, which the public pays for because the judges are paid by the public. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, put cameras in all the courtrooms mm -hmm. and have everything auto transcribed and posted on 
a dedicated website like a YouTube, where if I hear something's going on in a, a small town in Alabama or Florida, I can see what's for my own self. Watch the video, fast forward it, but mm. the transcription feed it through a software where I can look for keywords or terms. Because you only get justice if it's tried in a court of public opinion. Mm -hmm. That's why these judges don't want cameras in their courtrooms. Because they know that the stuff that goes on there is wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't pass muster, right? It's right. It's, I mentioned the Chicago slaughterhouses. If you saw the process that it takes to put that dead animal from the, the slaughterhouse to your kitchen table and make sausage, mm -hmm. you probably wouldn't eat a, a hot dog again. Mm. So that's the truth. Make judges and extinct species and lawyers too. And the people have the capacity to do their own legal work. They just don't get the tools to do it. You could do your own child support or divorce case if you knew how to read other cases because it's all plagiarism. Mm -hmm. Just copy somebody else's work and their citations of the law. And then since it's your neck in the in the uh, noose, you're going to be a better lawyer than any other lawyer. Yeah. Shapiro has hundreds of cases a year. You think he goes to sleep uh, worrying about one particular case or another? No. He has to budget his time and resources. But if it's you, if it's your divorce case, if it's your criminal case, you're going to spend 24 hours a day obsessing over it. And then you're going to put together something that truly makes sense. If... <laughs> If you're serious about it, if you're trying to pull a fast one, that'll be shown, uh, obviously, because if you write or say, your arguments will make no sense. Common sense is, is something that I read in a Reader's Digest story. They said they call it, or Andy Rooney from 60 Minutes. Uh, oh, yeah. He said they call it common sense because it's so That's <laughs> an oxymoron. Oh. I am so glad we spoke. And I would like to have you come back on again. Sure. You know, if people have any questions, how can they reach you? Well, they can reach me through uh, David Shapiro's website. It's davidshapiro.com. Uh, say this is for Peter. Okay, gotcha. Well, hey, don't jump off, okay? Sure. This is Lam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth, and Raised by These Wolves, How Family and Federal Courts Are Failing Our Children. Please join us again here with the Shapiro Law Firm and other exciting guests. And you can find me on Spotify, YouTube, Apple iTunes, Anchor FM, iHeartRadio, and other platforms I don't know about. And feel free to donate to buy me a coffee to help support this podcast. And you can find that in the podcast notes. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you very, very much. Thank you.